Um, if you're new to the book of Revelation and the Sunday night study, I hope to not confuse you tonight. Uh, but I think I might. Okay, I'm going to try not to. So I'm going to go slow. I'm going to repeat myself some. Okay, and that's to try to, to catch you up. And plus, all of us have been out of this for about three months. So we do need to get our minds geared back up to this genre of, um, of scripture, which is apocalyptical literature. And here, we're going to be in Revelation 21. So turn there if you would. Revelation 21 is where we come to the glory. Now at the end of Revelation 19, it's the fearful, the abominable, uh, the whoremongers, all those that uh, have lived wicked lives whose names were not found in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. Okay, that's the second death. There will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust, and all will stand before God. The sheep on the right hand, the goats on the left hand, and those on the left hand going off into eternal death in the lake of fire. Okay, so that's taken place, and now we come to the new heaven and the new earth. Now, understand this division, it's apocalyptical literature, and so some of what we see happening is presently happening today and true. But it happens in its final stage in the most final way possible in the reality of everything. We see a lot of things spiritually today. Uh, we will, at that day, in our glorified bodies, in the new heavens and the new earth, see these things spiritually and physically. That could be confusing, but we'll try to work our way through it as we do. So, Revelation chapter 21. By the way, some of what we have tonight would come from Ezekiel chapter 40, and especially Ezekiel 40 through 48. However, I'm going to take Ezekiel 40 through 48 as um, just a couple of sermons later on in the series. So I won't be really taking us there tonight and spending too much time. But as we work through this, then I hope that it'll be able to jog your memory and say, oh, Ezekiel, yeah, I remember that from Revelation 21, you know, so... That's kind of what the idea is here. Revelation 21. We'll read the first four verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So what we see is the final eternal state being put before us. Now we're going to see a connection between now and then. But this is the final eternal state that we're being talked about because, as I said in verse 1, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. For those of you that have been in the Revelation series, I hope that that jogs your memory. And actually, it uh, has been dealt with also in the Genesis series when we saw about the chaos. That's what the sea represents in the Bible. It's rebellion, it's chaos, 
The beast comes out of the sea in, ch in chapter 13, verse 1. It's dangerous when you're on the sea, and especially in those days, um, you're on the sea and you're, you're, the winds are tossing and whipping. How many ships have gone down? And literally hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people have died in the midst of the sea, just, just trying to traverse it. It's a place of danger. It's a place of chaos. So when we see the sea was no more, we shouldn't think, oh, water doesn't exist. And no, that's, that's, that's where we get our literal mind going, and, and we really miss the point. There's no more chaos. There's no more disruption. There's no more sin. There's no more rebellion. That's what's being said here in the new heaven and the new earth. And so the holy city, New Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. And of course, the church is the bride of Christ. Uh, that is said numerous times. Uh, interestingly enough, and I think we'll see it a little bit later here, um, it's also the wife. Um, Israel in the Old Testament was often referred to as the wife of God. And the New Testament church, uh, our saints after the New Covenant age are usually referred to as the bride of Christ over and over again. And what we see, what is a bride? Well, a bride becomes a wife, right? United. The people of God of the Old Testament, united with the people of God of the New Testament. And this is a major theme throughout Revelation 21, is that there's going to be one people of God. Not going to be one special people of God, you know, the, the Jews that everybody needs to bow before, but one people of God, one people of God, joined together by Jesus Christ the Lord. That's the theme of Revelation 21. We're going to see it again and again and again. So Old Testament believers, New Testament believers, the city is the dwelling place for the people of God, and it's where God in his omnipotence dwells with us, wiping away tears, making all things new. Now, where else have we seen God dwell with his people? Tabernacle, right? The temple. Yeah, this is where God's dwelt with his people in times past. It's not that he wasn't omnipresent, because he's always been omnipresent. But these are the, the special places where God meets with his people. Well, skip all the way down to verse 22 just to, to make a point. I saw no temple in the city. Uh-oh. <laughs> if we stop there, it would be an uh-oh. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So, yeah, we won't get that far tonight. But uh, there's, there's the point that we have here. Um, the, city, the city itself will be the temple, the place where God meets with his people. There will be no physical temple. Where's the first place? I'm not asking you to answer out loud rhetorical questions. Where's the first place that God met with people? Garden of Eden, right? Garden of Eden is the first place where God met with people. And um, we can see and, and consider Eden to be a temple of God too. A place where God especially meets with his people. Now, we have a little bit of a, of a, well, let's just go to verse 5 and you'll see. 
And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I'll give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. That's covenantal language. Okay, we see. Now, we're actually reviewing. We've already dealt with this. We're going to deal with verses 15 through 17, which will be new material, but I really felt like we needed a review to get this whole thing right. So there's the covenantal language. We always see that as covenantal language when you say, I will be his God, and he'll be my people, or he'll be my son, or however it's put that way. But then there's the threat. The promise is there, and then the warning comes. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. But we already saw them cast into the lake of fire at the end of chapter 19. Okay. Well, okay. We've got to remember, it's a vision. This is where people get confused. They're trying to figure it out chronologically. They say, how could this be? How, you know, they're going to, their, their portion will be in the lake of fire? Yeah, because we're still in this present reality. Their portion will be in the lake of fire. It hasn't happened yet. Okay. We, we still have um, the situation of people dying. People die and their souls go to be with the Lord. If they're Christians, people die and they go to the place of the dead if they're not Christians. The place that's called Hades or the place that's called hell. You know, so that's what we, that's what we have now. So we need to remember this. We're, we're dealing with present realities and we're dealing with spiritual realities and we're dealing with future realities that are being revealed to us. So all these things are taking place at the same time. It's very easy to see how we can become confused in the book of Revelation as we read through there. But you know what? It is an understandable book. And I believe, as I've worked my way through it and thought a lot about it, that the people that were sitting or maybe standing as the book of Revelation was read to them had an idea of what what John was writing about and what the Lord was telling them. And uh, they knew it because they knew their Old Testament well. And so much of the, the book of Revelation comes from the Old Testament. You know. So, Anyway, as we go to verse 9, um, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, uh, we've already dealt with that, and spoke to me saying, come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. There's where you see the, the connection between the bride and the wife and the people of the New Covenant age and the people of the, uh, of the Old Covenant age or the Old Testament age. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. You know, well, we already saw that too. You know, but uh, this again, it's going to repeat the vision here. Um, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates. And at the gates, 
12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, we just read a lot there, but let's talk about the vision here. And just uh, you can just look in your Bibles, and we'll work our way through here. So what John sees is a vision. The vision he just looked at shows New Jerusalem to be a place. This vision also shows that New Jerusalem is the people of God. The jewels of his crown says, you know, I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, and takes him to the New Jerusalem. Now, the bride, the wife, you know, um, the bride is the city, and yet um, the bride is still people. You know, these things are where we can get confused if we're not careful. Uh, We look at uh, verse number uh, 10, or verse 11, the glory of God and its radiance, the Shekinah glory, the Shekinah glory that uh, attended the tabernacle, the Shekinah glory that attended the temple. Now it's the Shekinah glory that's here in the New Jerusalem. You know? And it's a dazzling light, a more permanent display uh, than uh, the others that um, came and went. And then verse 12, a high wall. What is a wall for? A wall is for protection. On the gates are the 12 tribes. That should be pretty, pretty obvious. How did the Messiah come? Came through Israel, came through the 12 tribes. The promises were given to them. And it was through Israel that Messiah came and opened the way of salvation. And those are the gates, the gates that uh, are welcoming. And uh, the high wall, um, you know, 12 gates, one, three, 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 making a total of um, 12. Three on each side, three times four, 12. But what does it symbolize? From the north, from the south, from the east, from the west, in come the people of God. Not just from one tiny location, but from all of the world. Whenever you talk about north, south, east, west, uh, we do that in our own colloquial way. We're just talking about from everywhere, aren't we? They came from the north, they came from the east, they came from the south, they came from the... The, the west, east to west. You know, we're, we're talking about from everywhere. And of course, the New Jerusalem is made up of, of uh, worldwide saints, you know. And an angel guarding each gate. We, it, it can be difficult sometimes to know in the book of Revelation uh, when we're talking about angels as far as the, the many hosts of angels there are, maybe billions of angels. We just don't know how many angels there are. Um, I guess however many there are can dance on the head of a pin. I don't know about that. But I do know that, they, that there are it's just an innumerable number of angels who are told, an innumerable company of angels. Well, the angels here uh, would appear to be the, the mighty angels. The angels that uh, really, if we were to, well, Think of the death angel that went over the Passover. What angel and the destruction that, that came. Think of the other places in the Old Testament where we see one angel could do tremendous devastation. Um, one angel, you know, and then you put a, a host of angels together. 
Okay, one angel at each gate, 12 angels. That's for protection. That's what we're talking about, protection. The, the word angelos also means messenger, but we have to kind of read it by context. I don't think it's a messenger here. It is an angel. It's one of those beings that God has made. You know, and it's just showing us that he's guarding the gate absolutely secure. And it's showing us something else, too. Okay. Because there was another angel, a flaming angel, a mighty angel with a sword in his hand that guarded the tree of life and would not let Adam and Eve approach the tree of life once they sinned. And, uh, of course, were cast out of the Garden of Eden. So this undoes the curse. This undoes that. It's a welcoming angel, not a threatening angel. These are angels that welcome from all the corners of the earth that way. And, um, you know, that's, that's another colloquial language. You know, all the corners of the earth. But the earth really is round. <laughs> so, no, you know, don't, don't get us wrong there. But that, that's where you get too literally minded. You see, there's a problem right there. Okay. So these angels signify our absolute security. And the city is built on what? It's built on a foundation. And what's the foundation of this city? Well, you know, it's uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's the, and then the, uh, you know, and then the, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And so the city's been on the founda foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. We've got 12 walls there, or 12 gates there. Uh, take your Bibles and just turn to a couple of places here. Now turn to Revelation chapter 4. This is such familiar language that by the time we got to Revelation uh, 21, it should be second nature to us, what's being said, because it's been said a few times. Revelation chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. John's caught up to heaven, and he sees visions of the throne in heaven. And we'll start in verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. I'll show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. And uh, then it goes on from there. And so we see 24, there, 12 tribes, 12 apostles. Look at verse 8. I'm talking about the gathered final church. Verse 8. Um, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, full of eyes around, and within, day and night, never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord, our God to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will 
They existed and were created. So 24 elders, 12 plus 12. That's what I'm trying to, to show. Old Testament, New Testament combined together. 24 elders are also in chapter 5. I won't take us there. Um, cha Revelation chapter 11, they are again there uh, before God, falling on their face, worshiping. It's the church, the gathered people of God. And uh, there's no division and all partake of the same redemption. So it's also Revelation 19 too. So it's the city of God, the place where God dwells. And as you know, God is everywhere. But he's especially in the new Jerusalem. And uh, before, he was, uh, well, not exclusively, but especially in the tabernacle. Not exclusively, but especially in the temple. Now, and here's the point, and here's the important point that we need to see. Now he's especially with his people wherever they meet on the Lord's Day for gatherings to worship his name. There's a group of departed saints, Old and New Testament alike, who cease not to worship God night and day before the throne. Okay? And they praise his name. We've seen them many times through the book of Revelation. It's so easy for us here on earth because we can't see that. We should know it exists, though. But we can't see it. This is spiritual. And when we gather together, sometimes we're tired. Sometimes we're droopy. Sometimes we aren't taking what we're doing seriously. Our worship just seems rather mundane. Uh, we don't really feel anything. That's, there's no jolt of excitement that comes. Well, sometimes there is. Sometimes God meets with us in, in great and special ways. But generally, we're meeting. We open our hymn books and we sing. And we sing praise to God. You know? But it's easy just to sing and just mouth words. It's important that we sing good words. It's important that we sing true words. And we see a lot of singing going on in the book of Revelation. It, it, it does matter what we sing. Because we learn from what we sing. We sing bad doctrine, we're going to know bad doctrine. And we're going to believe bad doctrine. And, and uh, if we're going to sing just light, frilly things that um, just sound nice, but they're really just kind of like poems and love songs and things like that, then we're not going to take God seriously. We're not going to take what we do seriously. And we need to take it seriously because you know what? As hard as it is to believe, we need to believe that right now God is here with us. He's here. And then somehow Christ is spiritually present here with us. And there's a connection with those that are already in heaven. The church in heaven and the church on earth. And this isn't just taking place at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. It is taking place at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. But it's taking place at all true churches that are meeting together. And uh, like I say, you've got to believe that by faith. And if you don't believe that by faith and you want to feel like you, you're meeting with God, then what you're going to do is going to drum up emotion and drum up all the kinds of things to make us feel good and make us just feel like, oh, I, I was in heaven for a few moments there, you know, because uh, we were overwhelmed by the band that was playing or, or the fog that was being... Uh, you know, whatever happens to me, these are the things that are happening. You know, they really are. 
No serious business. And, you know, it's in the context of church discipline, yes. But God did promise that where two or three are gathered together, I'll be with them in the midst. So it's easier to believe that. The quarterly gathering will come. And I promise you, it'll be easier to believe that God's in our midst at the quarterly gathering just because of the amount of people that will be here and the crowd that will gather. But we need to make sure that we don't just think about the, the emotional aspects of it. We need to understand the spiritual realities of it. Okay. So anyway, worship is serious business because God is here. Not exclusively here. Okay. Well, he's here. But he's extensively everywhere. But we can talk about him being specially here. We're going to take the Lord's table in a few moments. Okay. What's our confession tell us about the Lord's table? Our con confession uh, tells us that it's a memorial. Yeah, that's right. It is. It's a reminder of, of the death of Christ. But our confession also tells us something that, that's very, very true we need to remember as we take the Lord's Supper. That he is spiritually present with us as we partake it. Now, the Catholic Church will tell you that he's physically present with you, okay, in the bread and the wine, and, and that's not true. He, he doesn't have his body divided all over the, you know, no, that's not true. But others will tell you, well, this is just a memorial. It's like a funeral. No, it's not that either. He's spiritually present with us. So again, we need to take it seriously. And because it comes around one day in seven, one day in seven, it's easy to forget what we're, what we're doing. Uh, I'll tell you, it's good that it comes around one day in seven because habit. It's a good habit. But let's not just do a good habit by habit. Let's be glad that the Lord's Day has come again. Another chance for the people of God that are in our locale to meet another chance to, to join with Christ spiritually present, for the Holy Spirit to move amongst us, for us to lift our voices in praise to him. If you notice the hymns that we sing, the hymns that we sing uh, really aren't so much about us. When they are about us, it's about really how we need redemption and how we need cleansing. And you know, The hymns that we sing are purposely about him. And the hymns really well, I believe this. I believe the hymns should be, and I believe our hymns are, a form of prayer. Because we're singing to God. I got off track a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> but not really off track, because we're talking about the New Jerusalem. And the reality of the New Jerusalem that we are part of today. And that's hard to see, and it's hard to, to really fathom. And it was hard for the those in the first century that were being told these things too. Uh, some of them were hiding for their lives as they met together for worship. Um, the emperor might, might find them or the, the, the local uh, provincial um, one would find them and they could be in some serious trouble, prison or death. You know, it was a story that was repeated often and often and often. Persecution wasn't continual, but there was almost continual persecution someplace. Still that way today, by the way. There's still persecution in, in many, many places where the people of God ask, actually risk 
their lives and their fortune just to worship. We should be very, very thankful uh, that, uh, well, we're very thankful that that doesn't happen here at this time. Okay, so the old covenant idea of Jerusalem is gone. The place to going to Jerusalem to worship is gone. This is the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. Uh, you can turn, turn to Isaiah 65. I'm going to read a passage there. And this idea, Isaiah 65 is actually picturing the new Jerusalem. It's um, Isaiah 600 years before Christ going all the way into the, the future. And the Bible will do that. That happens in the prophets often. They, they will actually talk about things that maybe they don't fully understand and talk about things that will be revealed further in the scriptures. And the book of Revelation is a great place where that happens. You know, okay. So, Isaiah 65, verse 17. This is what the Lord says through Isaiah. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I'll rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Why? Because God will wipe away every tear and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. 21 verse 4. That's what we're talking about. It all goes together. It fits together. Because it's God's word. When Jesus ascended into heaven, the new Jerusalem, the place of all the Old Testament saints in glory, was established. Okay, so Jesus ascends into heaven. The new Jerusalem is established. And this is where those of us who die in the Lord go. And the size doesn't matter. When we get to Ezekiel, we're going to see this massive, massive temple that he's told to measure. And people get really excited and say, boy, I can't wait for the Jews to build that temple that Ezekiel saw. You know, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. That's not even what the purpose of Ezekiel's vision is. Uh, in other words, size wouldn't even matter anyway right now. Because it's the spirits of just men made perfect that are with the Lord. We're not bodily with the Lord. A couple of little anomalies there that, um, that we really can't explain. Uh, Enoch, you know, don't, don't know for sure what happened with him. Elijah, both of them appear to have gone up to heaven bodily. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is there bodily. But, you know, every, everything else, it, it's spirit. It's spirit. And spirit doesn't take up space like we think about it. One day, it will be body and soul united. And yeah, it'll be large. It'll have to be large for body and soul to be united because it will, there will be physicality to the new heavens and the new earth on the final day when it's all, when it's all finished and death and hell and the wicked have been cast into the lake of fire and now it's just God and his people. Okay, so... Um, let me, let me just see how much more to say here. I, I don't want to go too far into that. We will have more time. Um, but, yeah. 
the, the measuring rod that we see, we'll, we'll take a little bit more here. Okay, look at verse 15. Okay, I think we dealt with verse 14, yeah. Yeah, and on the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were written the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lord. Yeah, we dealt, we dealt with that. Okay, down to verse 15. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square, and its length is the same as its width. And as he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, depends what translation you're reading, what's going to say there, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. Well, obviously, it's not a messenger's messenger. These are talking about the angels. Okay. So you can usually tell by context what's being said. Okay. That's as far as we're going to get. Let me just, let's just unpack that a little bit and see what it says. The city, the city lies four square. You know, there is a, an American domination, uh, denomination, and maybe it um, uh, is um, uh, worldwide, I don't know, but the four square denomination. I don't know much about them, to be honest, and uh, I just know the name. And I've known a couple of four square pastors, and the ones that I've met, um, I appreciated them very much. In fact, one, uh, many years ago, I don't know what happened to him, he was uh, really interested in the Reformed faith. And uh, so he's probably not Foursquare anymore. Because <laughs> I'm not sure what Foursquare believes. But um, he was very interested in that. And we met a few times and had some good fellowship. But the city lies Foursquare. But what is the position of four? What does four symbolize again? North, south, east, west. It's from all directions is what it amounts to. It's length the same as its width. And um, what we see here actually is that... Um, Let's see if it's here. It's length and width and height are equal. There it is. That should tell us something. If it's length and width and height are equal. The temple, the Holy of Holies, the inside was a cube. And this is a cube. It's a massive cube as it's being pictured to us. But it's a cube. It's the people of God, you know. And... Um, the walls, how thick are they? 144 cubits. If you know your math well, 12 times 12, 144. Where we see 12 times 12? Israel and the apostles. There they are. There it is again. So these are the things that we find in the book of Revelation. Once we can key into them and begin to understand, uh, they're not some esoteric, impossible to understand thing. It's just, we got to be thinking a little differently. We can't be thinking literally. We need to be thinking in the way that God is presenting it to us, you know. And so, uh, this, so there we see that. If we wanted to think of it literally, it would be this. Um, it's a cube that's 1,400 miles high. 1,004 miles across and 1,004 miles. Okay, that, that's a pretty big cube, okay, I, I didn't measure it out to see how, how many cubic miles that would be. Okay. But that's a lot. You know, and um, the Holy of Holies and the earthly temple was a cube. Not because David or Solomon decided it would be a cube. It was a copy of the true spiritual temple. And that's why it was a cube. 
You know, about a year ago, <coughs> William Shatner went into outer space. And that was pretty cool. An old guy like that, getting in a, a capsule that, I don't know that I would do that, but uh, he was more than happy to do it. He had been, you know, all across the universe, so why not go 67 miles into the sky? It's, that's exactly what he did. He went 67 miles high, which was literally outer space. Okay. Well, this is 1,400 miles. But we don't take it literally. It's as big as it needs to be. It's what it amounts to. And it's the holy of holies where God dwells. And now we're invited in. Why? Because the veil of the temple was torn. And access was given. And now we don't wait for a priest uh, to go in once a year and, and pour the blood that makes propitiation. We don't wait for that. Instead, the Lord says, come. Come to me. Bow the knee. Bow your heart. Close your eyes. Pray to me. You have access to my very throne room. I'm giving you access to speak with me. And I'm giving you your word that I speak to you. Spiritual realities are sometimes hard to believe because they're just kind of... They're spiritual realities. That's what they are. You know? Conclusion, three points. The city's massive. No other city has ever been like this before. It's a large number which no man can number. That's what it says in Revelation 7, 3... Through four and nine. The point is safety. This city will never be conquered. It can't be conquered. How can it be conquered? There's no more enemies. All the enemies are gone. So why would it be conquered? But not only that, it's guarded by angels who would not be able to be conquered. But symbolically, the saints are eternally preserved and protected. The thickness of the walls, the heights of the walls, the angels guarding the walls, it all points to security. This is the true eternal security. And guess what? With all these defenses, on top of that, we'll be with the one who created heaven and earth, the entire universe, and has absolutely all power. So even if there were mighty enemies, gone like that. That's the Lord. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we covered a lot of territory tonight. Some of it a little bit um, duplicating, but just trying to get in our minds the idea of the seriousness of what we do. We know many places do that in a different way. Uh, they have parades where they have idols that they parade down the streets. Sometimes made out of gold and you know, priests in, in fancy vestments and very solemn processions. And it gives us an illusion of spirituality. But Father, they basically are dead men's bones being in whitewashed tombs. For the true spiritual realities are the people of God binding their hearts together in a local church, worshiping together, sharing their lives together, caring about one another, looking out 
amongst ourselves, Father, and continuing on as long as you would have us to be here. You know, oh, Father, people move away, but that doesn't destroy the church of God. And when people move away, they should find themselves another local church, a place of worship where the worship of God can continue, for it's going on around the world. And we're glad for that, Father. The Lord's Day is a, a good 24 hours long, literally, Father. Around the world, the Lord's Day has come, and it's come, and it's come, and it's come, and it's come. And, and Father, that, that's an amazing thing to think about, but it's true. One day, we'll all be together, and that'll be a glorious day. And Jesus Christ will be at the center of it all. And all of our worship will be directed to him. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.